you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Fabian Nisiesa, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast, and this is Avengers Episode 21. It's called The Collection Obsession, following a period of the Avengers from 1991 to 1992. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Avengers co-host, Tommy Alberello. Yeah, if you're just kind of tuning in, uh, or if you're listening to these as we're as we're throwing them up, uh, yeah, we talked about uh, volume sixteen and seventeen, Under Siege and Judgment Day, and now we're jumping all the way to volume twenty one. This is the beginning of Bob Harris's run on Avengers. So the stuff that we missed in between, we'll get to them eventually once Marvel puts out those epic collections. But for now, we're going to we're going to do Bob Harris's run, and we're going to kind of. There are three more volumes that Marvel has has released after this already. So volume 22 to 24. So I think, Tommy, that we can kind of do a straight shot through these next few uh, epic collections, these Avengers epic collections. Yeah, because uh, volumes 22 and 23 have been released and uh, volume 24 has been solicited but not released yet. Yeah, and by the time we get around to doing that episode, it'll be out. So, yeah, I think we will have uh, a nice good string of volumes or episodes that we can do in sequential order at this point. But as far as this volume is concerned, the collection obsession, what issues are we going to be talking about in today's episode? So we have Avengers 334 to 344 and Annual 20. Uh, We have the graphic novel Avengers Death Trap the Vault. And we have uh, some material from other annuals. Uh, with, let me see. Incredible Hulk Annual 17, Namor Submariner Annual 1, Iron Man Annual 12, and Avengers West Coast Annual 6. Once we get into the issues, we're going to tackle the graphic novel first. Then we'll talk yeah. about the annual crossover, which is called the Subterranean Wars. And then we'll talk about all of those uh, those 10 or 11 issues of Avengers. All hopefully in about two hours. We'll try and keep it keep it two hours. Yeah, okay. Which means we're going to have to plow through because that's a lot of stuff to talk about. Hmm. What are the things that we need to know uh, since we haven't talked about the the stuff in between Judgment Day and now? What what are the, the key points that we need to know about the Avengers before jumping into this book? Yeah. So speaking of uh, author's run, we had uh, after Roger Stern let's say, abruptly ended his run. We had a short run by Walter Simonson, then a longer run by John Byrne, and we had Larry Hama and Fabian Ischieza, each one during the short run, six issues each. And now, yeah, we have the beginning of Bob Hera's run in this big collection. Mm -hmm. Okay, And uh, just uh, to adjust the readers to the present situation to the Avengers. So we had uh, votes for a new team of Avengers. So the roster is now uh, Rage, Hercules, 
Quasar, Cersei, Captain America, Vision, and Black Widow. I, I can just imagine, because people today, they say things like, this is not my Avengers. When they look at the modern team of Avengers, like, this is not my Avengers. Wolverine is Spider-Man or whatever, you know. That's not the Avengers I grew up with. I can only imagine people who grew up in the 60s and 70s picking up an issue of 90s Avengers, and they're like, what the heck is this? This is not my Avengers. The only one I recognize is Captain Captain America. Black Widow's got a weird costume. The Vision's all white. And Quasar, who the heck is Quasar? Uh, Cersei, like, these are all new people. It's it's a very odd team of Avengers. And, and through this volume, the, the roster changes so that Bob Harris can have the Avengers that he wants to play with. And, and, and it's, it becomes an even more oddball kind of assortment of characters. So, yeah. yeah because some, some of these characters have been just recently uh, introduced in the Avengers roster. So, uh, Rage has been appearing for about five or six issues yeah. before the start of his epic collection. Uh, Hercules is in the team because he's replacing Thor, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So for events happening during uh, Tom DeFalco on Run Friends Run on Thor, I think you've covered it in the War of the Pantheon's epic collection. That's right. Yeah. And so, same for uh, Quasar. Quasar also has been appearing quite recently in the stories. And he's been uh, a quite recent character in the Marvel at this time. Mm-hmm. And so, Cersei, we have heard about her at the beginning of Roger Storm's run. But uh, only recently, she's a member of the Avengers. Right. And as for Vision, why he's white? Because there has been some events in uh, in uh, Avengers West Coast when John Byrne began his run in Avengers West Coast. So he had uh, Vision, uh, let's say, uh, reconstructed. Yeah, so he's stripped of all emotion. He's not married to Scarlet Witch anymore. They had a there there <laughs> there's a big story <laughs> when we get to the Avengers West Coast issues. We can talk about that, but. Yeah, so they're they're not together anymore. Yeah, uh, there's also one more thing. It's uh, they speak briefly during the issues of Avengers, but now the Avengers have a new headquarters. They are not in the mansion anymore, so now they have a, a headquarters full with the uh, backup crew that is led by Perry. Uh, what's her name again? Uh, Peggy Carter. That's it. Oh right. Yeah. Uh, Just before we jump into the issues, I have some listener comments that I want to talk about. I asked for people to head over to our Facebook page and and our Instagram page or Twitter and leave some comments about what they thought about this epic collection, the contents of the epic collection or the epic collection in general. Uh, And so we have a couple of things on Instagram. Yeah. Into the Moon Knight podcast left a great great comment. It says, I listened to the awesome review of the Collector's Obsession on the Quantum Zone podcast. I'll have to check that out. And in it, I mentioned that I really love the arc. Thane Ector is a great antagonist. The sympathy you feel for Thane at the end and the stark truth of their race is a great touch. I really hated the fool during that arc, but again, toward the end, his noble action um, was an emotional twist. Thoroughly enjoyable. And then also Paul David H.J. says, uh, love the Marvel Epic Collection books and your podcast. Thanks, Paul. 
Uh, this era of Avengers has seemed to have been forgotten. While admittedly not a remarkable run, there are some very enjoyable storylines like The Collector's Obsession. This is the Avengers that I grew up reading, and I will always have a soft spot in my heart, bomber jackets and all. Uh, yeah, we're not going to get to the bomber jackets in this volume that's coming up in the next one, but uh, it's close. we're getting close to that. Uh, and he also says, plus this era featured two of my favorite, not as popular Avengers during this time, Black Knight and Hercules. Yeah, because, uh, sorry to interrupt, yeah, when people think about the 90s Avengers, they uh, instantly it comes to mind the bomber jackets, but yeah, not yet, <laughs> not in this volume. Very close though, we're getting very close to that. Uh, over on Facebook, Sean says, This epic has the greatest fill-in issue of all time. Issue 240 is so out of place with the whole series. It is obviously an issue that was completed 10 years earlier that was quickly updated and has nothing to do with anything but before or after. So that's interesting, and we can discuss that in more detail when we get to that issue. Yeah, I think there's just a small typo because I think he meant three is to three forty instead of two forty. But oh, of course, yeah, three forty two forty. Yep, no, you're right, absolutely. It's three forty issue three forty. Uh, and then he also says, please discuss how Harris moved Rage quickly out of the series once he became a writer. Uh, thank God, by the way. I guess Sean did not like Rage. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a big Rage fan either. And yeah, we'll definitely discuss that because it's actually kind of interesting how he takes him out of the series. Uh, we'll discuss that when we get to those issues. One more comment on Facebook from Ben. He says, This was a good era in Avengers. Bob Harris was a good writer. Lousy editor, but that's a separate issue. And he gives a little winky emo um, emoji. <laughs> uh, this also has some really early artwork by Steve Epting, of whom I'm a huge fan. It's interesting to see his early work. I do prefer when he has an inker that is a bit of a lighter touch. I think Tom Palmer was still used to doing finishes over John Buscema's layout, so he was a little heavy on Epting's pencils. All in all, though, good story with good art and a take on the collector like we've never seen before. Yeah, I think uh, uh, just touching on Tom, the Tom Palmer comment, there's one issue in this collection where Tom Palmer only inks half of it and it's inked by somebody else. The rest of it is inked by somebody else. And you can really see kind of, I think Steve Epting was doing some, maybe not full pencils, completely full pencils, because it's very, very different. Uh, and again, we can touch on that when we get to that issue. I'll make sure I point it out. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. once we get there, I'll discuss it because it, the, the art feels really strange in this issue. It sure does. It absolutely does. Yeah. What I'm going to take the final comment sure. on uh, on Twitter. So we have just one final comment on Facebook by a friend of mine called Allison. So yeah, Allison, uh, Marvel has classics, but it's an inside joke for the people who do podcasts around for comics in Brazil. So <laughs> okay. just a small wink. Nice, perfect. <laughs> and we have a comment on Twitter by Winofer85. So he says, overall, it's an okay book. As you can tell, the Avengers title was pretty mediocre once turned left, but it did get a shot in the arm with the next volume, Operation Galactic, Galactic Storm, but then just took a huge nosedive down in quality once the event was over. Okay. 
I, yeah, I haven't read the, the upcoming volumes yet, but uh, I, uh, I know Operation Galactic Storm is a highlight on the 90s Avengers, and uh, also the Gatherer saga. But yeah, after that, we have the fa- the infamous crossing events, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it when we when the time comes. I'm really looking forward to when we get to the crossing because I've never read it, and people say there there's just nothing that people say that's good about it. So I'm really looking forward to getting to that part. But yeah, the Gatherers Strike. People speak highly of that one when when that epic collection was announced. People were very happy to to see that. So after Galactic Operation Galactic Storm, there is some good stuff that comes out. Maybe it's just not consistent. I guess. Yeah, and uh, just uh, advancing myself ourselves here in the podcast, uh, we have some uh, bits of the Gatherer saga at the end of the epic collection already. Right. Yeah, I, I was surprised to find that because that that those stories don't get paid off uh, for a couple more volumes. It's a, it's a it's an early start to a saga that doesn't get paid off for you know two years down the road or something like that, or maybe just one year. I can't remember. The first issue we're going to talk about is, it has a really weird title, Avengers Death Trap, The Vault. Now, why couldn't it just be called Avengers Death Trap or Avengers The Vault? Why is it called Avengers Death Trap, The Vault? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's a overly long title. Yeah. Uh, and the main character in this book is Venom. And it's very uh, hard, it's very interesting to, to see Venom... In this scenario, because at this point, he really only appeared in Spider-Man, um, but he also appeared in a, a story, in a Dark Hawk story, I think, around this time as well. This graphic novel was done quite a bit after the fact. It was published in 1991, but it, it took place during... A, it says here in the Epic Collection, it, it occurs in the recent past between Avengers... 318 and 319. So the roster of the Avengers is different than the rest of this book because they're, it still takes place technically, I think, during or just after Roger Stern's run. Yeah, and it takes place just before the, the Avengers have a vote for the new team that we see in this epic collection. Right. Uh, so in, I think, the first appearance of Venom, after that he gets taken to the vault where this and then this this graphic novel takes place and then in in uh, amazing spider-man number 315 on the very first page of that one he breaks out of the vault and so this story even it was it was published way after the fact it tells the story of what happened to venom during his time in the vault and it's written by danny fingeroth who was the spider-man editor at the time which is i think why we have venom in this Avengers story because it was Danny Fingeroth gave himself permission <laughs> to use the Spider-Man character for it, basically. So in a uh, very brief, there, there's a lot that happens in this, in this uh, graphic novel, but very briefly, Eddie and this, his, one of his cellmates, Mentallo, uh, formulate a plan to break out of the vault. So they don't actually break out of the vault. They just break out of their cages and take a whole bunch of guards hostage and threaten to kill them if uh, they don't get let, set free. So the Avengers are called in, as well as Freedom Force, which is a government-run task force featuring a whole bunch of former villains, including Mystique and Blob and Pyro 
Avalanche and a couple of weirdos that I've I'm not familiar with called Crimson Commando and Super Saber. Yeah, uh, the, uh, Crimson Commando and Super Saber appeared only briefly for for Freedom Force. Yeah, so they're in this graphic novel here, and uh, and so it's these good guys versus all of the inmates from the vault, which in, there are a lot of inmates here, including. Um, Thunderball from the Wrecking Crew, uh, Vapor, Griffin, Orca, I think Orca is one of them, the Wrecker, Ironclad, Goliath, Titania, there's just a whole bunch of them. Many familiar faces. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, basically the there's two parts of the story. One is the Avengers... Oh, ha, there, there's a bomb. The Warden of the Vault has a failsafe where if any of the villains break out of their cell and start a prison riot, he can just p- push a button and nuke the whole thing. So he's planning to nuke everybody. So it's a race against time. The Avengers need to get in, disable the bomb, and also convince Venom that the, there is an actual threat that he needs to stop what he's doing to take care of that. And then the other side is that Venom is trying to gain freedom for all of his cellmate buddies and himself and eventually tries to take down the the warden because he finds out the warden actually did did actually indeed have a bomb man i i, I tried to be as brief as possible but there's still too much uh too much to say <laughs> i think it's it's okay like that it's all right i think so too yeah did you like this did you like this graphic novel uh i find uh it's uh so okay it's average it's uh, feel, feels like a typical action movie it's enjoyable but uh, yeah i'll say just okay okay yeah i would probably state it that as well it actually it i found that um it ca- it captured my attention at the beginning but it really dragged in the middle when you know it, they just kept on getting the adventures kept getting roadblocked and they weren't making any progress and it just kind of kept happening like that over and over again and I, I found myself kind of getting bored, but it picked up at the end. It had a good ending, I thought. Um, the surprise yeah. for me was that Freedom Force uh, was put in a decision where either they could side with the Avengers and help take down the bad guys or side with the bad guys um, and gain some more power and control because they're siding with all of these really powerful guys. And Freedom Force doesn't betray them in the end. Uh, they don't turn into bad guys. They stay on the good side. And I can't remember when Freedom Force kind of disbands and everybody becomes a bad guy again, but I was half expecting that this was that story, but it wasn't. Yeah, I think uh, everyone disbands uh, around the time of uh, Legion Quest, just before Age of Apocalypse. Oh, really? All the way up to there? Okay. Yeah, because uh, I don't know if uh, there's still Freedom Force, but some of the, the mutants... Uh, still keep together. So Mystic, Avalanche, uh, and Pyro, they keep meeting again un- until uh, Legion Quest. Okay. Because uh, before Legion Quest, Destiny dies, and uh, Mystic, she tries to to uh, go after Legion, and uh, she asks for help for the other uh, members of Freedom Force. Ah, okay, cool. I found it odd that Spidey wasn't involved in this epic collection or in this graphic novel at all. Like, the there's this prison riot, and who better to face the person who's taken all these people hostage than the guy who's fought him numerous times? Uh, well, I mean, I guess at this point in the story, Spider-Man hasn't fought him numerous times, but I think he'd be brought in to at least consult or something. He should know more about Venom than any of the, the Avengers. 
that's strange. We don't see Spider-Man. But uh, also Venom. At this time, he was at the the peak of his uh, fame in the in the nineties. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, this is one of the rare occurrences that Venom makes outside of the Spider titles until the floodgates opened and and Venom started appearing like everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So and just uh, two final remarks. So we see in this graphic novel that uh, Thunderbolt proves to be a capable leader because we, uh, when we see him with the uh, Wrecking Crew, I think that's yeah, the the name of the villain team. Yep. So we always think of them as uh, some uh, meatheads that only have muscles, but here we see as he, that he he's quite capable. And also, uh, there was one panel where we see two inmates uh, kissing. It's uh, Necra and Mr. Hyde. They only wanted to spend some time together, but uh, they get uh, involved uh, uh, in the in the in the, in the trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, regarding Thunderball, we get hints of that kind of kind of kind of often. I'm thinking about the whole undersea storyline and Thunderball. He tries to gain control of the situation, but um, the Wrecker, since he's the appointed leader, just kind of always stays control. But you can see that Thunderball says things that will sort of manipulate the Wrecker into to doing what he wants him to do. Like, Thunderball's a pretty smart guy, uh, and he doesn't belong with the rest of the Wrecking Crew, but for some reason he sticks with them. Yeah, and I don't think we see the rest of the Wrecking Crew in this uh, graphic novel. Uh, the Wrecker is there. But he's not ah, wearing his yeah. purple mask, so he's not as recognizable. But ah, they say his name, so okay. I know he's there. Um, okay, we should keep going and move on to our yeah. next thing. This is annual Avengers Annual Number 20, Subterranean Wars Part 1. You want to take us through this? So the Subterranean Wars was a crossover involving some annuals of some series. And uh, as they say, it was uh, conceived by Paul Ryan. And uh, most of the stories are by Roy Thomas and his wife, Dan Thomas. So uh, here we have the full Avengers annual. So it has four parts. And uh, the Subterranean Wars uh, part here, the first part is called Of Moles and Mutates. So uh, here the penciler is uh, Kevin West. So uh, in this uh, first part, we see Hercules and Cersei walking towards Broadway, and uh, all of a sudden we have Lava Man and Moloids that break out to the surface. So the Avengers arrive to help them fight these enemies, and soon we discover that they were in fact fleeing an invasion of other uh, enemies they call the Mutates that are being led by uh, a guy called Brutus. So uh, we see uh, Mole Man and two other familiar faces. Uh, we see Grotesque, an old f- enemy of the X-Men, all, from, uh, all through the, the first generation of X-Men from the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. And we see Tyrannus, an old foe of uh, the Hulk. So uh, Mole Man asks for the Avengers' help. So, and then uh, Captain America and Black Widow they go get some help. And meanwhile, we have an, an attack by Brutus, Brutus, and he captures uh, all the other Avengers. So at the end of the story, we see that the story continues in Iron Man annual, but uh, we have some other issue that happened just before Iron Man annual. Yeah, well, and let's tackle those in just a second. Um, yeah. I just want to make a few comments about this this chapter of the annual. 
Uh, I love the fact that they spent time bringing together all of the underground kingdoms. Because all of these three characters, Mole Man, Tyrannus, and Grotesque, these are some of the oldest characters, the oldest villains in the Marvel Universe. Mole Man, of course, is the oldest, appearing in, um, as far as modern Marvel is concerned, um, appearing in Fantastic Four number one. And Tyrannus is a very early Hulk, like I think it's issue number three or four of the Hulk in the 60s. And Grotesque is issue, I think, 14 or 15 of the X-Men, also from the 60s. Like these are all really, really old characters. And they're ones that don't get the spotlight. We They only pop up like once every decade. And that's about it. Uh, except for Mole Man, he's more regular. But these other guys, it's kind of nice to see. And I recently talked about an issue in Miss Marvel with Grotesque. And I talked about that in the Miss Marvel episode one. Uh, so I am familiar with his character. And then, of course, I've covered the first appearance of Tyrannus in the first Hulk episode as well. But uh, yeah, very cool stuff. One or two comments. We see the the She-Hulk and Sandman are among the Avengers. Uh, Sandman was briefly involved with the Avengers, but he quickly uh, didn't approve of their methods, so he went away. And She-Hulk was sporadically with the Avengers, sometimes uh, with them, sometimes not. If you go to page 72... Um, the, which is the, the credits page of this annual. Uh, I love that there is a, if you look at the credits, letterer Janice Chiang, it's kind of slipping down. Uh, yeah. Uh, there is, I guess there was probably another letterer that was going to do this book, but then she was brought in to finish it up or did most of it. And so there's, you know, they glued her name over top. And that glue's come loose when it got scanned, and they didn't fix it for the Epic Collection. They left it sort of off like that. I think it's funny, not only because it's a mistake, but also because it's the letterer credit and the lettering, the because they do the paste up and stuff like that, right? And it's uh, it's falling down. I thought that was kind of funny. And also, hey, why is Black Widow in white throughout this issue? Is that just a bad coloring job? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, maybe it's uh, the, the, the she has the same effect on her costume, uh, like Batman that uh, appears in uh, in uh, in black, but uh, the other characters in Batman story says it's uh, dark blue. So. <laughs> <laughs> Usually in the rest of the book, they use a screen tone to create her gray look. And so it's as if they just forgot to put the screen tone on her costume. But like in every in every instance. This, this issue, there's a lot of exposition. There's so much explaining of what's going on because we're setting up. We have to, we have to be told each of these characters' individuals, individual history. And there's just a, a lot of backstory and and i don't know explaining the plot so it's a it's kind of a dense a really dense issue but once you get past that um the stories are the stories are fun in these annuals yeah so we have three more parts so the second part of this annual is called the history of subterranea and uh, so like it says it's uh, the story of the subterranea how the the people were created and uh, we have an uh, a lesson on history. So it's uh, written by Peter Sanderson, and we have the art by Jeff Moore. I loved this story. 
I thought it's it's brilliant because this is Peter Sanderson, who is an incredible researcher and comic like Marvel and DC comic historian. Like he he knows his stuff, and he has basically figured out how to fit all of these underground kingdoms all together with this story, which is why he gets a researching credit uh, for the whole subterranean war story, because he figured out a way to, to tie them all together. And it's not just the three factions. Um, there's also Queen Kala of the Netherworld. Yeah. There's one more underground world. I think we're going to figure out in an, in another upcoming chapter, but yeah, he just, he just fits it all together. This is a great primer. If you want to know all about the underground world the subterranean yeah now that you mentioned her yeah we have also seen queen kayla appear at the end of uh, the first part of subterranean wars but she will appear uh, more in the iron man annual right so the third part of uh, of this annual so it's called burning vision it's written by eric fine with art by michael bear so basically, we have the, we see the vision that uh, who helps the kid esp- escape a building that it's on fire, a fire that this kid created. <laughs> so and then he perceives the vision as a fire demon, and at the end, uh, vision shows him that he's no, uh, let him think think that he's vulnerable. So he he gains the trust of the the kids. I thought this was a nice little short story. It is a, a nice cautionary tale. And what's what stood out to me the most is the artwork. Fire is an incredibly hard thing to draw and make it look good. And this artist, Michael Bear, does a very, very good job of fire, especially the when the kid and Vision are inside the burning building and the fire is like climbing up the walls and stuff. It looks excellent. Yeah, and uh, uh, in fact, Michael Bear is a, is a veteran artist because uh, he he did, I think, the covers and the interiors of uh, Young All Stars for DC, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, also he made the covers for the final issues of uh, Infinity Incorporated, also for for DC. Nice. So I also liked the, the this story, and I will finish with uh, part four for this annual. Yeah. So it, it's called A Wing and a Prayer. So it's written by Michael Higgins, and we have the art by Ed Moore. So we see a kid that prays that his dad can be cured from cancer. So he sees Thor passing by, and he gets inspired to look for for Thor. So he goes to Avengers Mansion. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Absorbing Man appears, and he has a fight with Thor. And uh, suddenly, the father, uh, the kid's father, appears, and uh, he starts to confront uh, Absorbing Man. But Absorbing Man surprisingly gets the cancer from the dead, and he he escapes. He goes away. And I really, really, really liked this short story. Yeah, this one was nice too. Just especially addressing the the relationship between humans and gods here. So the kid prays to God and then sees Thor and claims Thor as his god. And like, this this is the god that's going to save my dad. 
I'm not sure about the whole sucking the cancer out of the dad thing, the absorbing man. Does he do that kind of stuff normally? No, uh, actually, no, because uh, the, uh, I don't think he, he sucked in the cancer because the father, he said he's, he's being treated for the cancer. But I don't know, it implies that he, he gets some weakness when absorbing something from the father. But the father, I think he still has, uh, he's, he's being, still being treated for the cancer. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure because I know that like when, when Absorbing Man absorbs a brick, the brick doesn't disappear. He just takes on the properties of a brick. So if he's touching the cancer, he would take on the properties of the cancer, but he wouldn't remove the cancer from, from the person. So that was confusing. So yeah, I'm not sure... The way that they leave it at the end, it could be the absorbing man's actions cause the cancer to go into remission, and now it can be treated properly. And I think that's maybe what they're saying, but I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, yeah, so to finish this annual, we have also two pages that count somewhat like bonus pages. So we have one page. We uh, let me see if I can find the credits. I think the the art is by Ron Lim because yep. it resembles the Ron Lim artwork. Yep. So in four panels, they recap the story of the Avengers and how they came to be. And we have in the final page a nice pinup by Mike Mignola. Yeah, very with the nice. very first team of Avengers. Totally, it looks great. Very very distinct Mike Mignola style. Okay, moving on, we're going to go to Incredible Hulk Annual number 17. This is the Subterranean Wars Part 2. The This chapter is called Old as the Hills. This one's okay. written by Peter David with pencils by Ron Wagner, inked by Mike Weatherby uh, and Al Milgram. And in this story, the Mole Man kidnaps Rick Jones and Betty Banner uh, to, in order to force Hulk to do Tyrannus's bidding, because Tyrannus, he's going through something right now. Uh, he's hiding his face because, uh, if you know the story of Tyrannus, he is actually from the age of the Romans, the Roman Empire, but he's kept himself alive all this time through the, a fountain of youth that he has underground. But the fountain is now under control of Brutus, so he is covering himself because he doesn't want anybody to see his old face. He's he's getting really, really old, uh, as he does because he hasn't been able to drink from the fountain. Uh, so Mole Man's like, this guy's no use to me. i got to do something. And coerces the Hulk into into uh, getting the, the fountain back under Tyrannus' control. The really funny part of this issue <laughs> is, uh, is that we have this huge, huge one-page spread of the big reveal of Tyrannus when he takes off his off his hood and he looks completely normal and it's yeah, supposed to be I so dramatic <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like what i don't know understand what this is supposed to mean and apparently nobody else did either because you go a couple pages later when they revisit that scene and they're like i don't see anything different about you <laughs> he still looks young and he's like no are you blind i have crow's feet <laughs> looking right here there's wrinkles <laughs> uh it's really yeah. really quite funny yes that, that's peter david for you absolutely uh, I, I like this issue a lot. This uh, chapter felt fun, uh, unlike the last one, which was so bogged down with exposition. This one was quite uh, had a had a quick pace to it. Um, I love Hulk during this era. The Peter David run is just a lot of fun. So the relationship between or the friendship between Rick and Marlowe and Betty is always a, is a good thing. And uh, 
and Hulk during this era is just kind of fun as well. For me, it's, it's uh, my, uh, my favorite uh, annual of the, of the bunch. So I, I'm going to say it's the so bad, it's good story. Peter David manages to do lemonades with the lemons he's given. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and, uh, and he, he, made, uh, he makes a nice uh, parallel be, uh, between Betsy because she, she's complaining that she's staying young demands some efforts and Tyrannus, who is uh, afraid of getting old. And we have a, a nice uh, touch with the makeup part because Betty uh, proposes uh, Tyrannus to use some makeup to hide the, the fact that he's getting old. I thought that this um, the, the end where Hulk pours out the water on the floor and Tyrannus has to lick it up, um, it's, a, it's very mean. I thought it was out of character for the Hulk because, I mean, he can be... He can be big and mean and, and smash things, but I don't think he's purposely uh, like vindictive like this kind of. And and Betty calls him on it. He's like, that's that wasn't a cool thing to do. So I thought that was an interesting little little comment right there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And just uh, one final uh, comment: uh, when we see uh, the Hulk is introduced in this annual, he's playing with some toys. And recently, Brian Cronin from uh, Comic Book. Uh, resources he made the comic book legends on these uh, tidbits because the I got a rock joke that he says uh, when playing with his action figure uh, it was a, an old joke from the uh, Peanuts story oh yeah, when, when Charlie, Charlie Brown, Brown goes trick-or-treating yeah. and all he gets in yeah. his t- treat bag is a rock yeah <laughs> okay we should say that uh, in this epic collection, the way they do these stories in the epic collections is they, they will re- reprint the annual of the main title. So in this case, the Avengers annual in full with all of the backup stories. But the remaining chapters, they're only going to print to reprint the actual chapters of the subterranean wars. They won't include any of the backups. So when we discuss the when I discuss these issues in their respective podcast series i'll talk about the backups at that point but we're not going to deal with any of the backups for any of the rest of these annual chapters yeah and uh, that was a discussion subject recently in the uh, epic page uh, in the facebook on the facebook page yeah exactly people were like well should they include them should they not they don't really they break up the flow of the story by having those backups in there why couldn't they push the backups like to the end of the book so it doesn't break up the story, the flow of the subterranean war story. Uh, personally, I think it's great to keep them collected all together because if I'm, if I, uh, a lot of this is like experiencing the comics as readers would experience them uh, when they first pick them up. Like that's why they keep the fill-in issues exactly placed exactly in the middles of the stories where they where they fall uh, to give the exact same sort of reading experience. So if I bought all of the annuals all of these four annual stories i'm not going to just read the chapter skip and then move on to the next chapter i'm going to probably read the entire annual which includes the backups okay so moving on we have neighbor annual number one so he doesn't have a credits page except here just uh, under the cover here in this collection so it's written by scott lobdell with art by james fry and inked by eric larson so it's titled Never Again, 
And so we see basically uh, Namor helps an, an, an old man who is being beaten in a pier near the docks. Uh, turns out that he, this old man is an Atlantean. He's called Lord Vashti. So this uh, Atlantean explains that while the subterranean wars is happening, some people called the Doradians, so one of the races from the, under, underground, they are slaying some uh, Moloids. So Nemor reluctantly agrees to help these Moloids. So I think it's a very interesting issue. Uh, we also see that Stingray, uh, one of the other Avengers, he guest stars in the, the issues. So we have a uh, very, very interesting issue, uh, even though the parallels with World, World War II is a little heavy-handed, but uh, yeah, I like this angle. Yeah, I'd have to say, though, I think it's probably the weakest of the bunch of them because it's so loosely connected to the subterranean wars. Um, it doesn't deal with the whole the whole thing. In fact... I even question whether they should have included this this chapter in this in this annu- in this epic collection in the first place because it really, if you take it out, doesn't have any bearing on the rest of the story at all. It's very tangential to the rest of the story. Yeah, but it's good, and I, I find it really interesting to look at the inks, and you can really see Eric Larson's influence. Um, I mean, it's very, it's it's not as Eric Larson as you think, but this is very early in his career, and you can still see touches of things that's like, yeah, this is definitely Eric Larson's touch. Uh, if you look at the page on page uh, 170, just the way Namor sw- is swimming up in the middle panel, yeah. the, the line quality, the weight of the lines, the way he does the shadows, the way he does the cross hatching and such, it's all Eric Larson, and so it gives it a, it does give it a. Um, an Eric Larson touch. Uh, so, by the way, people are, are used to see uh, Namor uh, only with his uh, his speedos uh, under underwater, but these issues happened during John Byrne's run of Namor. So, he, Namor was the the businessman at this time. So that's why he has a tuxedo at the beginning of the story. Right. And also the the. The art in general in this issue uh, resembles a little uh, to Jim Calafiore's uh, art. I don't know if you if you know him. He penciled the, um, uh, most of the Aquaman's run by Peter J- David at DC. Oh, okay, so he's well familiar with uh, with uh, drawing underwater action. Yeah. Cool. Okay, moving on to Iron Man Annual Number Twelve: Subterranean Wars Part. Four. This one's called Part Four: The Homecoming. So there's actually two titles here. Uh, it's number. It's annual Subterranean Wars Part Four: A Storm in Subterranea, The Homecoming. I don't know. So many titles. Yeah, too much titles. Yeah. This one is written by Roy and Dan Thomas. In fact, the next one is two. The the only stories that you really need to read in the Subterranean Wars are these three issues that are written by Roy and Dan. So it's the Avengers one, it's the Iron Man one, and the West Coast Avengers one. You could take out, I mean, the events that happened to Tyrannus do come up in into play in the next issue, but you could take that one out as well and, and still be fine. And then, of course, like we said, the Namor one doesn't matter at all. This issue is drawn by Tom Morgan, whom I really like. Uh, this is kind of early in his career, so it's a little rough in some places, but it's still he still is a good artist. Yeah. Uh, and in this one, Kala... The ruler or the ex-ruler of the Netherworld finds Iron Man, or rather finds Tony Stark, and asks Tony Stark to find Iron Man to help 
to help Mole Man because Kala is in love with Mole Man. They, I guess, ruled uh, the underworld for a little while, their respective kingdoms together. And she is really, really old. Uh, and it's not the same thing as Tyrannus. If she comes to the surface, she's old. If she goes underground, she's young. So she's taking a risk by coming above ground in order to find Tony Stark because she could get re really, really old and die. But through the course of this story, uh, they go underground and she eventually becomes the ruler of the netherworld again. The, the people who were going to kill her because she's an exiled person, uh, they, they change their minds and pledge their allegiance to her. But then she gives it all up so that she can be with Mole Man once again. Kind of a very tragic love story. <laughs> So uh, for the, I think the art resembles a little, reminds me a bit of uh, Walter Simonson, the little rope on the edges. The faces look uh, very Walter, Walter Simonson-ish to me. Yeah, I can see that, a little bit of that for sure. Yeah. And there are also some continuity errors because when we see uh, Queen Kayla at the end of Avengers Annual, she had a, a, a messy hairdo, but here when she reveals the, all her glory in the, the yellow costume, he has a nice hairdo, so yeah. <laughs> that's really strange. And she got the, that yellow outfit out of nowhere. And also at the, the, the beginning, the two guards that appear uh, holding the Queen Kala, they resemble a little like Brutus and Popeye from the Popeye stories. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. Um, I found this issue to be really wor wordy again, and I know that Roy Thomas just is kind of a generally a wordy writer. He likes to put a lot of dialogue into here, but there are some pages that are like, if you go to page 196, there's just so much going on here in terms of the words that they really take over, they take over the pages. I don't know what could have been done, but I feel like uh, a lot of the, the dialogue could be paired up and, and uh, tightened up a little bit. Yeah. It looks like the characters are crumbling under the, the text balloons here. Yes, absolutely. And it goes, and some pages are worse than others. If you go to page 204 and 205, there's, a, again, just so much talking. Part of it is also that it's really a large lettering. Because if you just flip back to even the Namor annual, the, the lettering, or the Hulk annual, the lettering is a lot smaller. So it wouldn't take up as much space if they had just kind of used a different letterer, I think. So the final part of Saturnian Wars so is Avengers West Coast Annual 6. It's uh, called uh, A Storm in Subterranea, uh, Chapter 5. So it's written also by Roy and Dan Thomas, and this time we have uh, George Freeman on art. So Iron Man, at the end of his handle, he takes uh, Queen Kayla to the Avengers West Coast headquarters, and there he explains the situation to everybody. So the Avengers West Coast team decide to go underground uh, to help the people there, they, they go in some sort of tank. Along the way, they find Captain America and Black Widow that were captured. Uh, we don't know how, but yeah, they have been captured. So uh, after that, we have a huge fight with uh, Avengers West Coast and Mole Man, Smoloids, and the Lava Man against the mutates. Uh, meanwhile, Iron Man and Scarlet Witch manage to free the other Avengers that have been captured by Brutus uh, all the way in the Avengers Annual. 
And, but we have a plot twist at the end because Brutus is revealed not to be a deviant, deviant but he's a mutate. So he gets a horrible ending at the ends, at, at the hands of the other mutates. And he see a pool of blood underground. Uh, yeah. And uh, but the story does not finish here because we have another twist. Because grotesque, grotesque tries to do an uprising, but he is taken down by the the other Avengers. Uh, and uh, Kayla commits uh, some sort of sacrifice because he she gets uh, in front of the laser beam to protect more men. But uh, she she's she's still alive and she gets taken care of by the mole man. Yeah, so grotesque. That was a good surprise. Um, it's not that he just joined the uprising. It's that he was watching the whole time for an opening where he could take control of the situation. And because his thing is that he's just mad at the planet because his backstory is that um, some underground nuclear bomb testing destroyed his entire race and turned him into the grotesque creature that he is now. And he's the only one of his kind left. And he's every time he tries, he appears in the comics, he's trying to destroy the planet at, to get revenge. And so he's teaming up with these other two guys in order to just wait for the right moment where he can just take something to uh, destroy the planet. So I thought that was uh, an actually good in-character moment for Grotesque and, uh, wow. and a good little hey. twist at the end. Remember, I was going to make a joke about the cover of an issue. So the, the, in the cover, the title is Buried Alive. Right. Does it remind you of something? Oh, what is oh, it? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to do a shout, so I'm going to not try to be too loud. Okay. Come! Star Trek, <laughs> the movie, right. the, the second movie. So, yeah, uh, kudos to Sammy Murchie. Yeah, he's a huge Trekkie. He's a fan. So That's funny. Well, that wraps up our Subterranean Wars story. What did you think of it as a whole? I think it's okay. Some parts better than the others. I like the Hulk annual and the neighbor annual, but the others ones, they didn't really impress me. Um, and like I said, I, I enjoyed the three issues with Roy and Dan because together they form a nice story. I love the concept. Um, I just think that Roy is too wordy and it really bogged down the flow of, of the whole story. But yeah, the, the Hulk issue is definitely the highlight and, you know, that's thanks to Peter David for sure. Yeah. Right on. Okay, now we're going to move on to the regular issues. This is the first part of the Collection Obsession story. Part 1, Avengers number 334. This chapter is called First Encounter. And this this whole chapter is basically a setup for the story. A spaceship crash lands on the moon, and the Inhumans who live on the moon see it and go to investigate. And they are captured by this new guy named Thane Ector. And he's got some companions and, uh, and, and an army, and they he, he captures them. And he's going to conquer the moon. And through some torture techniques, uh, he convinces Tiberius, one of the Inhumans, to talk and say that the real prize is Earth. If you go to Earth and conquer that one, that's what you really wanted to conquer. And I guess Earth is famous in the Marvel Universe because it's the planet that... It was the first planet to be able to defeat or escape the destruction of Galactus. So they're like, they're like, hey, these guys are worthy warriors. We will conquer them. And that's kind of where we're at. 
Timberius, I think, is an interesting character. He first appeared in the Hulk Annual Number 1, which I just talked about recently in the Hulk Episode 3 podcast. Uh, I didn't realize that he made any more appearances, but he's not one of the more well-known Inhumans. And this is uh, featuring the new team of Avengers that uh, that you mentioned, the the one that just got voted in. So we don't see characters like the Sandman and She-Hulk, which we saw in the the Vault, or Iron Man, all of these characters from the Avengers annuals that we that we just talked about. They're not in here anymore. So we've we've boiled it down to, um, I guess, is it just six? No, it's seven. It's seven characters: Hercules, Rage, Circe, yeah. Captain America, Quasar, Vision, and Black Widow. Uh, I think at, at this time they they kept the roster to seven Avengers because I haven't read everything after uh, Judgment Day from uh, Roger Stern's run. I've heard I've heard just a few issues later uh, until the heavy metal story arc. But halfway through the Roger Stern run, when Vision takes over the the team, he decides that the roster of six or even seven Avengers is the ideal number of people in the team. So I think that's why they're still limiting the roster to seven people. I like that because then we can we have a a, a good amount of people we can focus on. If you look at like modern X-Men and modern Avengers, there are so many people in those books that it's really hard to give any one of them any any sort of spotlight. It it's it's rough. It's really rough. So having, you know, six or seven people and then opening up the second branch, the West Coast Avengers is is excellent. So I like that a lot. So just uh, some small comments here that we have a nice dynamic cover by Andy Kubert. So it's his specialty. Also during his time when he was penciling the X-Men, he also made quite dynamic art. And we see in the beginning that Quicksilver appears with some pointy ears like an elf, but uh, normally Quicksilver doesn't have pointy ears. So that's really strange. That is strange. I guess they usually give him, artists usually draw him with some Spock eyebrows as well, so maybe the pointy ears are just to uh, to, to kind of make him look more Spock-like. Yeah, and speaking of Spock, we have at one point, uh, let me find the page here, we have Vision that does his best uh, data impression, so data the character from Star Trek The New Generation, that it's going to be the last uh, Star Trek reference here. Uh, oh, no, just the... <laughs> Uh, the second to last one, because I have an, another one coming. So yeah, he when the Avengers are hiding for the moon, he he starts speaking with the statistics uh, of the the probability of life in right. the yeah in the, in the moon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of similarities between Vision and Data right now. Um, not only because of their pale complexion, but the Vision is throughout the course of this book is going to start feeling some feelings and start exploring that because he's devoid of all that right now. And of course, that's Data's big quest in life is uh, feeling emotions, becoming more human. Um, So these new villains that we have here, Thane is a rank, I guess, or some sort of uh, status title. that That places him as like the leader of his people. And... All we know about them is that they are sort of a, a race of warriors. They come, they conquer planets, and then they move on to the next planet and conquer that. They have, Thane Ector has 
um, a, a female companion who's sort of his second in command, and also this little demon type creature called that he just calls the fool. And they, the three of them, are kind of the main characters out of these these guys. But uh, it's revealed at the end of this issue that the ship that they crash landed in belonged to the collector, and the collector is there unconscious in the ship. So that's a that's uh-huh. kind of the twist of the issue here, and the and the watcher shows up, of course, because and that you always know that that's bad news whenever the watcher shows up. It's not a good thing. Just one final funny comment. I think I don't know it's the same page for you, but here is uh, page two forty seven. We see Medusa appears with her magic dress. I think she bought it in the same place that Emma Frost's uh, bought because uh, the the dress is about to fall off, but she it keeps on her body. I don't know how. Maybe the <laughs> the, the, the the hair uh, helps the her to keep the dress on. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, in this collection, in, in the print copy, it's page two forty nine. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so the next uh, issue is Avengers 335. Uh, we have two stories, in fact, uh, in this uh, in this issue. The first one is called Bloody Encounter. Uh, so the writer is still Bob Harris until the uh, end of the epic collection, except for uh, three issues. And the the penciler here is St- uh, mistakenly written Steve Eptig instead of Steve Epting. I think it's uh, oh, yeah. uh, 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 distant relative to Steve Efting. Whoops! <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but uh, in fact, the, here we see the first the first pages look quite strange. They don't really look like uh, Steve Epting uh, usual artwork. Uh, and we, when we see the credits, we have the inkers are Tom Palmer and Tony Desuniga, and the veteran in the inking of uh, artwork. Yeah. So at the beginning of this issue, we learned that it's been three days since the brethren, so the, the race that the uh, Tain Hector is the leader of. So it's been three days since the brethren are on Earth, so to, they're wrecking everything. And we see some tensions appear between Tain Hector, uh, his lady, Lady Dorn, and the fool. So they have a big fight with the Avengers. And suddenly, Tain Hector sees an interest in Cersei, so he captures uh, her. And at the end, we see uh, of this part, we see that Captain America is badly wounded. So, uh, sorry, uh, sorry if you have some comments. I was really not convinced that Captain America was badly wounded. It, it just the the action, and I don't know what it is. It just didn't portray the level of of violence that I think would require to take down Captain America. Like when we, when he was taken down in, in under siege, I really believed that, but this one just seems so, I don't know. It's just not, uh, it's not, it's not obvious. It seems like it's just, uh, maybe because all of it happens, maybe off panel or something like that. It, yeah, or I think maybe the artwork plays a part in it because the artwork is somewhat cartoony in this uh, first half of the issue. But that's not the issue I have here. It's like you don't actually see, if you go to page 271 and 272 where Captain America and Thane Ector are actually battling, you see Captain America punch Thane Ector in the chest, and then down below, 
I don't even know what I don't know what that is. Like Captain America's hit with something. We don't we don't quite know. You turn the page, and then he's hit again, but you don't know how. It says kabam, and then in the in that same page uh, yeah. down below, he's hit again. You don't actually see any of the action, and you don't get a good sense of why he's actually brutally injured here. It's, and it's not because of the cartooniness of the artwork. It's because of bad posing. It's bad layouts. It's like not showing anything. I thought it was a very odd choice, very odd composition. Yeah, I think so. some yeah, some of the ap- action, ap- uh, some of the, of the blows appear out uh, of nowhere there, at some yeah. panels. You don't even see them. You don't even see it. So that's a stark yeah. difference. And uh, I don't know. It made me think that these guys, they're really doing a lot in the dialogue to say that they're tough. But in the illustrations, when they are trying to show us that they're really tough, it doesn't come off the same way. So it's kind of a disconnect for me. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. really, really strange for the first, this first half of the, the issue. So for the second half, we have a story called uh, Collect and Proceed. So here we have a more distinct Steve Epstein artwork. I think this time uh, Tom Palmer was fully involved in the inking. Definitely, absolutely. So in this story, we have featured uh, Hank Pym, Black Panther, The Beast, and Quasar. So they've been trying to revive the Collector for uh, 24 hours straight, and they managed to awake him by simulating the energy of a soul gem. But because yeah, at the time, they were not uh, the Infinity Stones. Right. Yes, uh, the, all the gems were called the soul gems. And so when he, the uh, collector wakes up, there is a quick fight against him. He looks uh, somewhat confused. Then he, the collector hears the other character speaking about the brethren, and he gets uh, sudden interest, and he agrees to go with them to find where the, these race, the, the brethren, they, where they came from. Uh, Beast, Black Panther, and Quasar go with the collector. They are miniaturized, uh, somewhat like the movie Inner Space. Don't know if, if you know it, oh, yeah, with yep. Dennis Quaid. Totally. Me short. Yeah. And so the, that's where the issue ends, and they proceed to the microscopic world. So I find it strange because the, the collector, he seems strangely ironic in his speeches. Because he's somewhat this high, uh, high figure, but uh, here he seems uh, sarcastic in he, when he talks. Yeah, and he's a little mixed up, and he doesn't exactly know what he's saying. And I think these guys are just supposed to attribute that to him being just coming out of a coma and not really having his wits all collected at the time. But yeah, he's very strange. He's out of character. Yeah. And man, the, the amount of intelligence in this one room with, with Pim, T'Challa, and Hank McCoy all together. Like, those are three really smart people. Uh, I yeah. liked the back half of the story far more than the front half of the story. Yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I have the same, same opinion. Yep. Okay, let's move on to Avengers yeah. issue number 336, the Collection Obsession Part 3. I should say that this is a summertime story and at this point marvel would put all of their titles or not all of them but a bunch of them uh, bi-weekly so they could tell a six-part story in only under three months and they 
they would do that uh, because the, the mandate was usually keep your stories to maybe one or two parts, maybe three sometimes, but definitely don't go six parts long because we don't want one story to take up half of a year. But if they're going bi-weekly, sure, yeah, you can do a big long story like that. Uh, in fact, in the next volume, when we get to Collection Obsession, that's a 19-part story that's told in three months. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think you meant the uh, Operation Galactic Storm. Sorry, yeah, Operation, Gal Operation Galactic Storm. Well, yeah, in the next volume. Yeah, and, and no problem. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I found strange because I uh, I thought that all the the way from the beginning of the story arc, the at this time I thought Avengers was published weekly, but yeah, it's starting with the. As you said, the, for its longer story arcs, they they published the story biweekly. Yeah. So this chapter is called "For Here We Make Our Stand," and uh, Thanector creates a citadel, a citadel atop the Twin Towers, which um you know obviously these days anytime the Twin Towers are in a comic book, I notice because they don't exist anymore. Um, so that's kind of cool. The Avengers try to hold off the attack. There are hundreds and hundreds of these creatures come out of the Citadel and start just wiping out humanity in New York. And the Avengers try their best to hold it off, but uh, they don't have a, a very successful time doing that. Uh, Captain America is, of course, out of the action, so he calls in Iron Man to help, and also Black Knight shows up. These are the first two... Um, or Black Knight is the first edition of Bob Harris's new recruits that he wants on his Avengers team. So during the next several issues, we're going to see Bob Harris slowly bring in the characters that he wants on the Avengers, and he'll be, we'll be seeing characters leave that he doesn't want on his Avengers. What else happens here? Oh yeah, the mini heroes, the mini Avengers make friends with a race of creatures that uh, are on a planet a mini planet inside the collector's ship that the brethren have totally destroyed there's only one little small tribe of these creatures that actually survived the attack the, and uh so together they come up with a plan to try and escape and find out where thanector and the rest of the brethren come from right now they're still a mystery no one knows anything about them but on page 299, we get a hint that there there is something mysterious with their origins through the conversations between Thane Ector and Sybil Dorn, and also the, the, the conversation between Sybil and the Fool. There's definitely something about their past that some of them know and some of them don't know, and uh, we don't know anything yet. They're just hinting at it, and it, that information is going to come soon enough. Uh, also, a love scene between Thane and uh, Circe, which uh, they really struggle with because outsiders are not allowed in their in their race. So the fool tries to get mad at Thane, but of course Thane's like the top of the line, and the fool is some sort of unworthy, lowly part of uh, of their race, and so they have a little bit of a falling out. And it looks like for the fool, there is more to him than it appears to be, uh, as we will see in the next issue. Uh, for those, the Thane Ector Citadel, I think it looks suspiciously similar to the, the, the Citadel, the Sentry uh, builds in the beginning of uh, New Avengers by Brian Bendis. 
Oh, okay. I'll have to look that up. I'm not. I don't remember what that looks like now. Ah, cool. Yeah, because uh, because when uh, I think the not the second, I think around the issue twenty of New Avengers, so the Sentry has recovered his mind and he builds a citadel that even the uh, the shape of um, Sentry Citadel looks similar to the Tainector Citadel. Right. Okay. Yeah. And cool. I was I was I was afraid at one point of this issue because the there was some uh, potential for cruelty uh, here with, when the Avengers fights. Uh, yeah, for me it appears page two ninety four, but when Iron Man is captured by the robots, I was really fearing that the robots were would start to tear Iron Man apart. So, <laughs> oh yeah, thank goodness this didn't happen. <laughs> Ah, so Black Knight is in this one, and he's got his ebony blade. One of the last times you we're going to see his ebony blade for a while. So the next issue is called Mud and Glory. And, oh boy, uh, it's, uh, I'll say just straight up, there's a scene that somehow discredits the, the major villain in this story. <laughs> because uh, at the beginning, we learned that the Tainector and his fool, they are actually brothers. So, yeah, it's a tradition of the race. So the, the highest rank, uh, the Tain of the race, uh, he, get, he gets uh, to be elected the, the ruler of the race. And his brother is transformed in this uh, lowly creature called the Fool. And we see that they like to drink sewage, raw sewage. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, very, very disgusting. Uh, I, I'm going to leave it for the comments and I'll proceed with the issue. So we see that the I'll call it I'll call them the the mini Avengers, the the, the miniaturized Avenger. Yeah. So the mini Avengers are, uh, starts to link the brethren to some kind of disease so in the way that they they wreck everything in the way and they proceed. Meanwhile, we see that Crystal, who appears in the end of the last issue, she asks for membership in the Avengers, and it sets up the somehow the, the next story arcs. At the same time, we see that um, Sable Dorn is having a fight with Cersei, and we see that suddenly Sable Dorn turns into a pile of goo, to say it politely. <laughs> yeah. So she learns that somehow, she somewhat learns the true nature of the Brethren, and it will be revealed later. So in the end, the, the mini-Avengers arrive to the place of origin of the Brethren, one in the, of the capsule in the collector's ship, and one of the, the people of the tribe they have learned, uh, they have met just before. So unfortunately, he doesn't survive the trip. It's somewhat uh, dark humor because uh, at one panel, uh, Beast uh, asks for... If he he's called Neka, the the, the primitive uh, guy, he it, it beast asks for him how what does he think of uh, of this, and suddenly Neka turns into uh, some sort of skeleton. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's lots of different little clues and hints um, and and reveals about their origin, and I like how they are all putting the pieces together. It's it's actually the way that they figure this out is very well told across these several issues. Um, I like the way that they, they figure out the truth and then in turn we figure out the truth. It's not just a big exposition. Uh, they do a lot of good detective work here. 
So the comment I was about to do about the the discredits of Teen Hector because it reminds me of uh, what happens in the Dark Knight Batman Dark Knight Rises the movie because during the, this movie we see that the uh, Bane is introduced as a major villain and in the end we learn that in fact he's uh, let's say he's the Atelia Algo's best friend, and we see that he's kind of gets friend zoned by Atelia. And <laughs> it was the, the same, uh, yeah, but it's not really friend zoned because uh, the, he knew her since childhood, and it would be creepy for him to date a child at the time. But anyway, right. the, it was the same sensation I got when reading the, the first pages of the issue to see Tain Hector uh, drinking the sewage because for the brethren, it's uh, a high valuable, highly valuable for, for them. So right. for us, it's strange. And, yeah. and just uh, a comment, let's try to find it here. When um, Crystal joins the team, she briefly mentioned that Pietro uh, left on a secret mission, but uh, we don't know what is it yet. I think it's a clue to uh, what's happening in X Factor at the time, Peter Davis X Factor, but I'm not sure. So yeah, if the comments have, uh, if the listeners have some clues about what's happening. So right, I was wondering about that too. I'm not sure. Yeah. So okay. So the collection obsession part four. Avengers number 338. Uh, this chapter is called Infectious Compulsions. Uh, and the, the mini Avengers are... They, they have found the primary world of the Brethren. And it is uh, completely devoid of any sort of... Oh, no, sorry. It is, it is completely thick with germs and disease and, and just uh, bacteria. Like, the air is filled with it uh, to, and that's what killed their friend Naka the other the other uh, alien race because uh, the, the the brethren had stripped their world of all of the bacteria and so when he came here he was completely susceptible to all of the different viruses and, and, and sicknesses in the air and died instantly so they they get more of the clues and are finally ready to return to normal size and the whole team is reunited uh, so that they can begin the final steps to uh, to creating their assault on the brethren, and that's kind of where half of this issue is. Half of this issue is um, putting the pieces together, and the other half of the issue is getting ready to fight. And uh, is this the issue where we find out the end of the? Oh, sorry, which chapter are we mm-hmm. in here? Just a second here. Part four of the the second to last part of the. Oh no, we're in part election. five. Sorry, I said, so the the front cover of this says Collection Obsession number four, but this is actually part five. Oh, yeah, you're right. Now that I see it, yeah, the, there's a mistake in the cover, yeah. Yeah, because I was like, and then, then at the end, we get the big reveal about the collector. But I'm like, that's not part four, that's part five. Yeah, so this this is the one where we find out that the collector has been behind the whole thing the entire time. Uh, and so he's the big bad. He's got a new look. I don't exactly understand the new look. I don't get it. Uh, I don't know why he looks this way. They don't really give any explanation, but he just does. So. Yeah, same here. I found strange the, the collector's new look. So same here. I didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, the fool, he manages to convince Thane Ector 
to launch a full-scale attack on Earth based on some just uh, some images that he's projecting. He 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 twists things and manipulates the nectar into doing what he wants him to do. So he's not the fool we think he is. This one is yeah basically all set up for the the stunning conclusion, which is typical of the of the issue before the final issue. Uh, this one is just uh, everybody, all the pieces are in place. We're ready for the final battle. One thing I found strange in this issue because is that uh, right at the beginning, the beasts that comments that they are surrounded by bacteria. And I found it strange that yeah, Black Panther is protected by his suits. Uh, Quasar can be protected by the, some for, the force field he can project with his mega bands, but... Uh, the beast here appears only in only his glory with the with his uh, <laughs> with his pedo <laughs> with his briefs and his fur and uh, I'm not trying to think too much about it but he could be uh, turn out to be uh, severely ill by staying around these uh, germs. Yeah, who who knows what he picked up there? <laughs> but I wonder if he just like if if it's not like he still has fully working antibodies in his in his system unlike the other alien that was stripped of that because of the brethren. So I don't know. They don't, they don't bring that up again. So I guess no, he's fine. I, <laughs> I just uh, bring up the suspension of uh, disbelief. That's right. On this one. Yep. Okay. So the next issue is Avengers 339. So it's the final parts of the collection of Station Story Arc and it's titled Final Redemption. So this new collector explains uh, everyone about the true nature of the Brutrain. So long story short, the series, they are uh, part of experiments of, uh, by the Celestials. So the Celestial made genetic experiments on primates to create the Eternals, and the Brutrain were created uh, from bacteria. So the Brutrain are some sort of biological weapon. So this new collector, he slays Cyberdorn and he turns all the other brethren into some primitive life forms. So look like some, I'll just say it's, he turns them into small clouds of goo, <laughs> to say politely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so uh, Cersei appears and she convinces that Tain Hector can die as a proud warrior because he... Everything, everyone has been exposed to the true nature of the brethren, and this was uh, a, a, a shame for the for Tain Hector that everyone learns the true nature of the brethren. So she convinces Tain, uh, Cersei convinces Tain Hector that he can die as a proud warrior, and she also calls in the fool, and the, the fool and Tain Hector, with help of uh, Cersei's powers, creates. Uh, what they call the uni mind. So it's a collective form where all the eternal fuse. It uh, resembles somewhat a giant brain. And this uni mind already appeared during Roger Stern's run in the the first half when uh, Star Fox met Cersei for the first time. So basically, this uni mind wipes this new collector, and uh, that's the end of the the menus. Yeah, I I thought this was a nice ending. This was uh, it really fulfilled all of the all of the plot threads. Everything came together. Had a you know a very sci-fi fantasy conclusion, but one that made sense to me and wasn't a, wasn't a stretch. And it redeemed the characters. Like we once we found out that Thane Ector was uh, you know that he was holding this secret. 
uh, from everybody that their race is not as noble as they think it is. In fact, it's completely the opposite. We feel very, we feel the sympathy for him, and we're glad to see him when he uh, makes the sacrifice at the end, and especially when when Sybil Dorn comes to realize this as well. Unfortunately, she's immediately killed. But these characters are redeemed. Final Redemption is a good title for this last chapter of this story. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's one point in here where Rage, or or maybe it's the previous chapter, I can't remember. Rage makes a comment where he's he's like, well, we've got two gods here. I guess they don't need, they don't really need me as part of the action or something like that. Where is that? I can't remember. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it is. It's, at some point he says, he notices that it's like, there's Hercules. Hercules is here. Iron Man. You know, all of these really powerful people and elemental and eternal. Quasar with his cosmic powers. Rage feels like he's really out of place here. So this is kind of sowing the seeds for his exit. Uh, isn't it on the upcoming issues? Because I, I also think he does a comment. Uh, he say yeah, he comments something like that, but I'm not sure if it's in this issue. I don't think it's in this issue. I I think we passed it already. I can't remember where he says that. Uh, but anyway, doesn't matter. It's there. I'm sure you'll see it if people are yeah. reading along. They'll they'll figure that out. Uh, yeah. So any. I also noticed that there is a very, very small lettering. Remember when I was talking about that one annual where if the lettering was really sm small, the words wouldn't take up so much space? Check out how small the words are here, if you, especially if you go to page 371, which, yeah. which for you is 369. Look how small those those words are and if you flip back i mean I, you can't really flip back very easily because you're on digital but if you go back to see the the size of the font or the size of the lettering in the iron man annual it's like it's really huge this would have been a much better size yeah you're absolutely right yeah the letters <laughs> seem much bigger in the iron man annual yeah they're really big okay so at the toward the end of this or i guess in the middle of this issue the, the collector and the watcher have a conversation uh, Watcher says, you know what you're doing is wrong, right? Come on, can't you just stop it? Stop doing it? Humanity doesn't deserve this. And the Collector says, I do what I must. I do what I am. As are you, Uatu, old friend. Saying that, you know, he he is the Collector, so he must collect. There's nothing more to him than that. He He's compelled to do it. And just as the Watcher is compelled to watch and do nothing else. So I thought that was an interesting co comment, and that applies for all of the elders. All of the elders have a thing that they are obsessed with, that that they are compelled to do over and over again. You know, the gardener gardens, the runner runs, and the collector collects. And, and Galactus is the devourer, so he is compelled to do that. But that's a different kind of compulsion, I think. But yeah, so interesting conversation, just to see those two cosmic beings just kind of having a, a casual conversation in the middle of the issue yeah yeah i didn't get it catch it at first but yeah now that you mentioned it yeah they have there's they seem to be yeah, very quite acquainted uh, both uh, the watcher and the collector yeah it's like they know of each other they know that each other does what they do but they just kind of stay out of each other's way and i think that's kind of the the thing with all of the cosmic beings is they are always they always just kind of stay out of each other's way and do their own thing 
for the most part until they clash. Uh, okay, so what do you think of the collection obsession uh, story as a whole? Do you uh, like it? As a whole, I like it. Really, really like it. Yep. But it's very interesting because it begins in a really epic tone to make the pun with the, co- the collection. So, yes, it begins really epic. And uh, it, at the end, we see the, it redeems nicely the Tain Hector, uh, although we have seen him drinking sewage. But, yeah, it redeems him uh, greatly, and uh, I like the ending. And uh, also, he see Cersei quite involved with and touched by the, the story of the brethren, because she feels for, for them. Yeah. I think it's the highlight of the book for sure. It's uh, it's way better than the subterranean wars annuals, and it's better than these kind of two part issues that come after this uh, for the rest of the book. So it's definitely the highlight. I can understand why it's called the 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 epic collections called collection obsession because they this is definitely the highlight of the whole volume. Yeah, I agree. Well, shall we move on to the next one? All right, Avengers number three forty. Now this is the issue that someone uh when we at the beginning of the episode when i was reading off the listener comments they're like this is the out of place fill-in story that was obviously written 10 years ago and so if you look uh, at it yeah it's written by david michelini no the plot is david michelini but the script is scott lovedell so that gives you a hint right away that this is a plot that someone's pulled out of a out of a filing cabinet but david michelini is not around anymore to write it or he's tied up with other books. So Scott Lobdell fills in the script. And if you look, like he does a really good job of making references to recent events, saying things like Iron Man says, Iron Man, did you travel all the way from the West Coast to stand at attention? And things like that. Like he, <laughs> yeah. to, to show because the, the, the characters that are involved here are all the characters from Roger Stern's Avengers. Yeah, even the Wasp has her outfit from Under Siege here. Exactly. So these, this is definitely an inventory from the Under Siege era Avengers that they've pulled out in order to uh, to stick right here in this in this story right here. And it's kind of a kind of a blast story. This woman uh, rushes over to the Avengers with a message, a desperate cry for help. Unfortunately, she's injured and killed in a car accident uh, trying to get this message to the Avengers but they get the message and this is basically a little team up between Captain America and the Wasp uh, they they discover that the woman is married to a guy uh, a Swiss guy who is in Austria he's a weapons manufacturer or weapons dealer and uh, they have quintuplets so they have five children that are that all look the same and they soon realize that the children are being prepped for war. They are the bodyguards. They can't be more than like 10 years old or something, but they carry around machine guns or laser guns and, and guard the premises. The guy, the weapons dealer, has a whole bunch of nukes that he is storing up just in case there is another nuclear war. He'll he'll be well protected. I found his motivation to be very underwhelming, very, very weak. He's like, he's he he's trying to pattern his children all after Captain America, um, but he's holding these nuclear bo- bombs. He wants to hold the world hostage if there's ever a World War Three. So it's like there's no real reason for him to be doing what he's doing, except he's just kind of paranoid. 
Oh yeah, uh, same here. Uh, they have the real feeling that it's a feeling issue. One, there are two things that, things that surprised me in this issue is that uh, Jarvis uh, seems quite resourceful when he infiltrates the, the 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 manufacturer's house. Yeah. To speak with the kids. I like that a lot. Yeah, and he uh, also mentions the 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 fact that he was. Uh, uh, wounded during uh, under uh, uh, under a siege, I think for me it's page three eighty eight. For you, maybe it's three ninety one. It's, it's three ninety, yeah. And three ninety. Yep. So yeah, he mentions the the fact that he was uh, injured during under a siege, and also there's a, a funny fight with uh, Captain America and the the uh, overweight guy called Bulwark. He says he's the the worst deadliest assassin. But he, if this guy is the world's deadliest assassin, uh, then um, I, I wonder uh, how Electra or Bullseye uh, are, <laughs> yeah. are rated. Exactly. Are tired <laughs> to, to him. And he, spe- he, he specifies that he's not overweight, but he's big boned. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's, uh, uh, for me, if it's, even though it's a feeling issue, it, steps, steps, it sets up the, the next story arc because it has a more down to earth approach to the story. Right. It, yeah. After the big battle that we've had, it's kind of nice to have something that calms us down a little bit something a little bit more grounded yeah i can see that but otherwise it's nothing real special it i've i've read better uh fill-in stories than this one okay then you're right same here there are better feelings than this one so proceeding with the down-to-earth approach we have avengers 341 it's titled Rage of the of Rage of Angels. So we have Fabian Nicieza as a guest writer for this issue and the next one, and we have uh, Steve Epting returning to to art duty. So uh, we see a protest in front of a police precinct because there was a brutal arrest uh, on uh, a man called uh, Carmelo Martinez. So while most of the people are against the arrests. There's a group of people that are uh, for the arrest, and there's a small bunch of people are looking looking for trouble. So Rage intervenes. He gives a small speech. Then this small speech does not go unnoticed. So there's some tension between Rage and uh, Captain America and Falcon. Uh, so we see that it turns out that the troublemakers are one of the troublemakers is part of a group called the Sons of the Serpents. Uh, so meanwhile, Captain America and Falcon go to visit Rage's grandmother, and the Sons of the Serp- Serpent prepare to make some trouble again. But this time, the new warrior appear- appears. So things escalate quickly because Rage also appears, and there's a mysterious guy that uh, is looking to everybody, and he ups, uh, he brings the anger inside everyone. So at the end, the, uh, the Avengers also intervene, and that's when the issue ends with this climax. Yeah, so this is really a rage story. It's all about rage, which is kind of too bad because I don't care about this character at all. He comes off as just, uh, I don't know, just really angry with no 
no motivation. He like all throughout these other issues, he's just angry at other people all the time for little reasons. I mean, he's justified in his anger here with this scenario, which is good, gives him good motivation. Um, but yeah, still don't care about this character. So I do like the inclusion of Falcon and bringing in the new warriors, especially Night Thrasher, because when you have all of your African American characters together dealing with issues of uh, of racism, then uh, it's nice to see them kind of all banding together. Uh, I did find that Falcon and Captain America's stance on what the Avengers are meant for is kind of weird, because when Rage says, I want to deal with these these guys and help the, the cause, Captain America says, well, what would you propose we do, Rage? What do you want us to do about it? And Falcon says, yeah, the Avengers as a concept aren't about dealing with problems of this kind. So I guess the Avengers are only meant to like stop alien invasions and stuff. But when it comes to standing up for the people of their own country, they're not going to do it. I found that kind of odd. Yeah. And there's even a, a policeman in the last issue that made, makes a comment also like this, that the uh, Avengers, uh, they are a little almighty and they don't look too much for the, the the people around them. Right, right. So the Sons of Serpents, they're a white supremacist group. And uh, is this their first appearance or have they appeared before? I don't know. Mm, I don't know, but there are some reference. Uh, let me check it here. I don't know if it, uh, it's in this issue. For me, it's page uh, four. Uh, 410, I think for it's 411 or 412. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, of yeah. course, because they talk about that the defenders had information about them in their files. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it says here, um, way back in Avengers number 32 and 33, and then again in the Defenders 22 to 25. So, yeah, they they have been around for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, uh, I have a general comment for the story arc but I'll leave it for the next issue. Uh but here we see appearing the new warriors that uh, was a relatively new uh, group of characters uh, at the time. Uh, and they and they were also created by Fabian Nicieza and their catchphrase in the covers are where that they were the heroes for the 90s. That's so, right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Make that where what you wish yes but yeah they were the heroes for the 90s and uh, i'll go more in depth about them in uh, in the comments for the next issue but here we see namorita has a different outfit she she has some kind of pink uh, pink armor that is different from her green uh, swimsuit that she usually has well it it, she got in like really really savagely beaten a few issues before this which uh, which caused her to to wear armor to protect herself. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, it might have been in the the Terax battle that that Marvel Boy or uh, I think he, think he's called Justice here that Justice um, mentions New Warriors fifteen to eighteen. At the time, he was still Marvel Boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Marvel Boy his his arm is in a sling, and I and it's because of a battle with Terax, uh, and I think that's where Namorita gets beaten as well they all get pretty beaten uh, okay. in that story uh one more thing is we find out a big secret about rage a big secret he's only 14 years old this yeah. is a retcon 
because I'm pretty sure when Fabian Nicieza created this character during his run on Avengers, he was not meant to be 14 years old. But this storyline is basically, and I don't know if it's Bob Harris said, you know, I don't really want to use Rage in Avengers. And Fabian's like, but I really like that. Can we just move him over to New Warriors, please? And then we're like, but but Rage is a, an older guy. He doesn't fit in with the New Warriors. And Fabian's like, okay, don't worry. I'll write that into the story that he's only 14 years old. <laughs> so he's fine. He's fine. He's okay to be with the New Warriors. Yeah. It reminds me of when we were talking about the the first episode, uh, the Avengers final threats, when Jim Shooter didn't want to use Thor, so he made Thor uh, uh, disappear during the, the issues. Right, yeah. I, I think that Fabian Nicieza was brought on to do to write these two issues, basically so that he could bring new uh, Rage over to New Warriors, where he was the writer. Obviously, this is a character that Fabian really, really likes and really cares for and really wanted to continue working with. So he doesn't last very long on Bob Harris's team at all. Yeah. But should we go on to the next issue here? Yeah, okay. Avengers number 342. This one's called By Reason of Insanity. Uh, the same creative team as the last one. Hatemonger is this the, the major villain who is using his influence to cause all of the people in this this uh, neighborhood of New York, including the Avengers and including New Warriors, to fight amongst themselves, just using all of this hate. They eventually... This, I actually... I did not like the ending to this at all. Um, they basically... You know what? I refuse to give in to hate. And Hatemonger's like, oh, okay, guys, well... I guess I better be going then. Um, but sometime in the future, you're going to be angry. And watch out, because I'm going to be there to make you even angrier. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. It was not a good ending to the to this story. I, I like the message, the message of, you know, racism, uh, fighting against racism and, and standing up for people who who can't do it themselves, I think is an important thing to talk about. And it is neat to see the two sides of how the of Captain America saying, you know what, this is not an issue that the Avengers need to deal with. We need to let the proper authorities deal with civil disputes like this. Whereas the New Warriors, the heroes for the 90s, are saying, no, we need to step in and fix this because if we don't do it, then it's not going to do anything. So, and then Rage eventually is like, you know what, you Avengers, I don't agree with your stance, so I'm going to I'm going to take my leave and he quits the team yeah so i'm going to do a larger comment for for two things first as for me i i like the the story arc because for me it still feel real even 20 years later yeah we, uh, 20 uh, no 30 sorry 30 years later with the black lives matter movement yeah for me it's, it still feels real Absolutely. and i think this, this story arc uh, made the parallel with the 1992 riots in Los Angeles, with when uh, what was his name? Rodney King was uh, br uh, brutally murdered, and there, w there were riots in Los Angeles. Ah. So I think this, um, yeah. Even though it's an is an issue uh, written and I think released in 19 in 1991. Let me see the credits here. No, I, I think, think this is 92 in... now. Ah, okay. Yeah, I'd have oh, to yeah. check the dates. Well, I mean it. Uh, yeah. No, it's still 91. It's late. It's November and December 91, which means that these uh, came out okay. er, even earlier than that, probably September and October. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I think this. Uh, I don't know uh, when the riots uh, uh, happened exactly. Uh, I know it, it happened in 1992, but I don't, I don't know if it was in the middle of 1992 or in the beginning. Uh, anyway, so the the, the story arc made somewhat a parallel with the tension that happened uh, in USA at this time. So yeah, the. For me, it still feels real even today with the Black Lives Matter and yeah. the brutal arrests. But I'm not going to get far away in, the, in this podcast because it's out of context of the podcast. So anyway. <laughs> well, and the, the work speaks for itself. I mean, if you read these two issues, you will completely understand the issue. And I hope that uh, you can agree with some of the conclusions or questions that are brought up because it's important. And one of the things that is is brought up as well as the the very last issue or the very last page it's a group of african americans saying that segregation equals de- uh, degradation and they want to take action and hate monger is influencing the main person to 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 give into hate so the hate works on both sides i mean it's not i mean the the, the the side of the African Americans is more justified because they've been oppressed for so long, um, but it's still there's still hate coming from both sides, and hate hate mongers is going to uh, to work on whichever side is giving into that. Did you notice that they got his name uh, Rage's name wrong in one of these issues? In the previous issue, when they're talking to Rage's grandmother, they call him Eldon. But in this in this issue here, when they revisit his grandmother, they call him Elvin. Ah, okay, I did notice that. And I don't know enough about Rage to know what his actual real name is. I didn't bother looking it up, but it can't be both. And the fact that his grandmother calls him both Elden and Elvin uh, is, is definitely a mistake. Yeah, and I have just two more comments: one middle-sized one and one uh, very small. So the the small one, I'll start with the small one, is that one of the musics that the hate monger is singing at the beginning, it's on page, uh, uh, for me it's three, 425, I think for me it's 426 or 427 in the upper right panel. Okay. Uh, he's singing, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Ah, yeah. It's, uh, it's an excerpt from uh, Take uh, Sympathy for the Devil by Rolling Stones. Right. There's another Rolling Stones r- reference uh, in the previous issue. Where did it go? Um, or maybe it's in this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the very, in the splash page in the at the beginning of this issue here, 342. Hatemonger's looking over the crowd, and he goes, Shadubi, Shattered. Uh-huh. That's a Rolling Stones song as well. Okay, this one I didn't know. Yep. Okay, and for the middle-sized comments, the the attitude here uh, uh, of the kids from uh, Night Warriors, uh, here it's uh, somewhat the edgy attitude that the teenagers of the beginning of the 90s had. Because at this time, there was a rise of the grunge music, and uh, the... One of the characters in pop culture that was popular at the time was Bart Simpson. It, it was the, the the rebel child that makes trouble, yep. and it was very very famous for that. And there was a lack of characters that represent, represented this new generation of kids that were that were uh, appearing and growing up. So uh, Fabian Nicieza he created the New Warriors. 
that we are, okay, I'll say it again, the heroes for the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but he, this team was uh, representative of the, these new teens that were growing up. And it's, it is, they have this somewhat edgy attitude, but it's because they w wanted to, for me, I think it's because they wanted to emancipate themselves from the adults and wanted to think from themselves and prove that they, they were not kids anymore. And I also do a parallel with X-Force that uh, Fabian Ischiesa was writing at the time. Uh, and the, the, the fact that they were kids that they wanted to uh, grow up for themselves and uh, stay away from the adults, uh, in this case, the Charles Xavier. And there's one one issue that I've read from uh, Fabian solo run on the X-Force. And it was uh, the time the Greg Capullo was penciling the the, the book. It's issue 19 of X Force. It's called the uh, Open Hand and Closed Fists. Don't know if you've read uh, this one. I haven't. Yeah. So uh, in this issue, the key, the, the X Force team, or, or especially uh, Cannonball, he makes a speech to Xavier that, uh, uh, well. Long story short, he proves to Xavier that the, these kids are growing up and they can uh, uh, live uh, by themselves without the adults uh, watching on them. And they want to also to emancipate themselves from from cable. So yeah, Fabian Nishida, he he really created uh, the superhero teams for the the kids that were growing up in the beginning of the 90s so he was the, he made the voice for the these kids nice uh so i just looked it up and rage's um actual name is elvin so okay. so elden is incorrect and i also made a mistake i mentioned that rage was created by fabian nicieza but now that i've looked it up he's actually was created by larry hama and paul ryan in their run on avengers and so I don't exactly know why Fabian, if it was Fabian's decision to bring Rage over to New Warriors, or if it was an editorial thing, or what. But uh, but yeah, this is the story that brings him over. So you'll see these two issues appear in New Warriors Classic uh, Volume 3. And if there were ever any New Warriors epic collections, you can be guaranteed that these two Avengers issues will be collected in there as well. Okay, we have our last two issues of the book here. Okay, uh, yeah, it's my turn, sorry. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so it's Avengers 343. So, it's called First Nights. And uh, here we see the first hints of the Get Rare storyline. So, at the beginning of the issue, we see a different Thor on the roof, along with Vision and Jarvis. So they wait for Crystal to to land in the no, sorry she does not land she gets teleported by uh, Lockjaw and uh, Crystal has her daughter Luna and Marilla who turns out to be the Luna's babysitter. So then we see uh, as soon as these people get inside the, the Avengers building. So they see Hercules and Black Knight fighting some robots. Uh, turns out it was a welcoming training sequence. So just after that, uh, 
Crystal is having a video meeting with Quicksilver. So and then there's an alarm of an attack uh, on Fantastic Four building. So some Avengers rush to the aid of the Fantastic Four. So we see Crystal, Hercules, Black Knight, Vision, and Thor. But uh, actually, they're uh, ambushed by two people, Swordsman and the Mysterious Lady. But Swordsman was supposedly dead, so how can he turn out to be alive? And that's the cliffhanger that ends this issue. Uh, yeah, and so Black Knight is here with his new sword. There's an interesting commenta- commentary from Captain America in this issue where he kind of laments over the ever-changing roster of the Avengers. And that's interesting to me because the Avengers just hasn't had a stable writing team for a number of years since um, since Roger Stern left. There were like, like you, you listed them all off at the beginning of this episode and there's like, you know, four or five different creative teams all within a, a two-year period or three-year period of time. And each one of those creators wants to use their own version of the Avengers. And so Captain America is talking about it here saying, you know, they're, they're just constantly people coming in and out. When I was, when when the Avengers were first founded, when he was when he was on the team and he says, being an Avenger used to mean something. It was a mark of honor, distinction. We were a fellowship of friends. And now it's, I don't know, it's changed. We've become ill-defined, an ill-defined group of strangers. Uh, he says, stop me if I if I'm sounding like an elitist. I think that's really interesting. Uh, Captain America only had to wait for about uh, 10 or 12 years until Brand Bendis comes to write Avengers so they could become the huge franchise they are are known (laughs) today. Exactly, yeah. What do we think of it now? And then, yeah, even like Jonathan Hickman's Avengers is so ridiculous with the amount of Avengers and even the type of Avengers that they have on that team. It's uh, it's quite wild. And then also Crystal has a good conversation with, with Quicksilver uh, over the intercom or over the t- or the television or whatever it is, their communication, the, the computers. The yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just that they are... They're they're interested in trying to maybe 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 work things out and keep things civil, but there's just a lot of bad tension between the two. Of course, if you know the history of these two characters, Crystal cheated on Quicksilver and caused their marriage to kind of crumble. This was a this was a heavy character development issue. There's a lot of character building with all of the different characters, uh, including Thor, who comes in. He's now this is now the Eric Masterson Thor. Yeah, and he's here. Um, learning kind of the ropes of being a superhero. So it's interesting to see a Thor that doesn't really know what he's doing. Kind of nice. Um, I'm talking about that Thor in, in the uh, in the Thor episodes with Craig. Uh, Fall of the Pantheon. Or sorry, War of the Pantheon. And what's the follow of that? Immortal Flesh. And I think the Black Galaxy saga is coming up pretty soon. So that's... Yeah. We're just about at the point where Eric Masterson fully takes over as Thor. Um, oh, and also Vision sees the twins in a, a, when uh, he looks at Crystal holding her child, Luna. He gets a vision, get it, get, gets a vision of his own children who were not really real in the end. But this is kind of the first little tweak we see of him realizing that maybe he wants to 
indulge in emotions once again. Yeah, and the this emotion theme is going to come back in an upcoming issue, not in this epic collection, but I think the next one. No, in um, uh, Fear the Reaper right. epic collection. Nice. Okay, we got one more issue to go. Let's just quickly tie up this here. This is uh, issue number 344, and it's called Echoes of the Past. The swordsman is back, and he's angry because he is because the angry because the Avengers left him for dead way back in uh, what was the story? Was it the Celestial Madonna saga? Yeah, I think it was Celestial Madonna. Yeah. But anyway, swordsman died, and he's angry at the Avengers, and so he's going to take uh, revenge. And, uh, you know, he's really, really mad. But unfortunately, this is like the only Avenger that was on the team at the time is Vision. All of these other guys, even though some of them know the, the uh, they, he, they, they know the swordsman, they weren't on the team at the time. So they don't really have any stake in this. And I don't, so um, swordsman is a little unjustified in his actions. But he still attacks and they, they fend him off. And he's got a, Swordsman has an associate with him. He calls her uh, Magdalene. We don't know anything about her, but she says that uh, Proctor is going to be upset. Socks about somebody named Proctor. This is all set up for something that's not going to really come into play for uh, for two more two volumes from now. Yeah, and really, it's um, it's only a few months because Operation Galactic Storm, even though it's a full epic collection, it's only a couple of months of Avengers. And then they pick pick up the, with the storyline after that, so it's all a bunch of questions without any real answers. Um, there is a Circe. Circe returns. We don't know where she's been in the last couple of issues, but she's back. She looks in a mirror and has a weird vision of herself. We don't really get to see what it looks like, but something's wrong. There's another question. Meanwhile, where's Quasar? He kind of disappeared for a few issues, and no one's questioning where he's gone. Is he off the team now, or what? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they they addressed this issue in the this, where the Quasar has been right now. I think I haven't read read yet uh, Operation Galactic Storm, so maybe they'll uh, mention it in the next they will, uh, volume because he's uh, undergoing okay. a change in his own series at the time. Uh, okay. So there is uh, definitely something going on, and. Uh, We'll see what happens in when we talk about Operation Galactic Storm. All right. Yeah. Do you have anything more you want to say about this last issue? Yeah. The, well, I was really impressed with the fights between Black Knight and Swordsman. It's really yeah. greatly choreographed fight. Uh, same for the fight with Magdalene. I like this is very action heavy. So now comes the last Star Trek reference. Okay. So Black Knight's lightsaber is now switched and set to stun like the phasers <laughs> okay uh, you got a Star Trek and a Star Wars reference in there because you called it a lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay well th- this concludes our thorough examination of this epic collection there are just a few bonus features at the back there's a, a small article from Marvel Age from Peter Sanderson cover to the Avengers Death Trap reprint, which they called Venom Death Trap The Vault. Uh, to cash in, uh, cash in on the fame of Venom at this of time. Of course, yep, absolutely. Uh, some tr- Marvel trading cards, I collected those when I was a kid. I had all of those ones. They're very familiar to me. Uh, and then some original art, just three pages reproduced onto one page. So it's a little light on, on bonus features, but it's still a, a solid volume. It's a good start yeah. to Bob Harris's run. 
I'll say yes. I was a, a little um, apprehensive of what the Bob Harris run uh, would like uh, would look like. I've heard good things of Operation Galactic Storms and the Getter Saga, but uh, this one uh, starts uh, with a bang. It does. Now I will say though, however, it doesn't hold a candle to Judgment Day or or Under Siege. That's for sure. That's still like top top drawer for me right there. But this is still decent. Yeah, I think it's too uh, too bad. Uh, about half of the epic collection is taken by a so-so graphic novel and uh, the annual crossovers, but. Right. That's the way the Epic Collection work. They collect yep. everything from the uh, characters. Which is fine with me. I'm happy that they're there. I'd rather be able to read them than have them lost in obscurity. So uh, it's good to talk about them. It, this whole thing was a great experience, and I enjoyed uh, talking to you, Tommy, about about this book and going through it in detail. It was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. And uh, I don't know if you're going to do... Uh, special episode for a galactic storm because you mentioned it the last yeah, time that's it, right it will be a round table with every uh, uh, co-hosts that uh, for the different series right so as it stands right now the only like uh, i'll bring in craig who is my thor co-host and jared who is the captain america co-host my iron man co-host is no longer able to do episodes with me so i have to find a new person oh. for iron man oh that's unfortunate yeah and then of course quasar and wonder man they don't have epic collection so i don't have hosts for them but i think because it's 19 issues i don't really want to load it down with people anyway so between me and you and jared and craig that's four of us i think we can it'll be yeah. a really nice round table discussion of operation galactic storm yeah okay yeah well, and that'll probably, I think we'll have to talk about that maybe in the f in, in the fall or early winter. I think that's where I'm going to have to place that. So it'll be a little while. You, Everybody has time to grab a copy and read it. I know that Operation Galactic Storm is technically now on the out-of-stock list as of July 2019. So hopefully we'll get it reprinted. At, or hopefully you can find a copy at your local comic shop because I don't think you're going to find one online at the moment for a reasonable price or you can buy it digitally like tommy does it's always available digitally i have already uh, already got mine and it was in sa on sale uh, i think last week or last two weeks so yeah i, I already have mine i don't have uh, um the reaper yet have to get it but wait for those sales yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, we should sign off here. It's been over two hours, and we had a great time. Uh, thanks again, Tommy. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Bye.